Am I hot? Okay, if you can kind of think about uh, regrouping, we'll try to regroup. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. I uh, had so many really good comments during the break, and I, enough that I'm going to try to comment on those comments. Uh, so I don't have to worry about my notes for the second half. You guys are just absolutely amazing in your good, in your good thoughts. Before I do anything, though, and several of you, many of you know it, but it's just so wonderful to have Bill and Aline Fleener with us here this morning. And I think I saw a sign the other day still down here. It called it Fleener's Corner. And that's where we could always find them. So what a treat to have you. And those of you that don't know Bill and Aline, they're really some of the pillars of this camp out throughout the years. And, uh, well, if you know them, you love them. I'll just stop that way. And if you don't love them, then there's something wrong with you. Okay. And Kathy, their daughter, who, who enabled them to, to be down here. They're having their 70th wedding anniversary tomorrow, okay? That's longer than most of you live. I'd ask them if they'd do it again, but I know the answer to that. And we need more of that. And I, I don't know if they're all gone or not, but there were, yeah, there's still some water bottles commemorating that. I grabbed one. I'm not going to drink it. I just wanted it to... Uh, uh, as a souvenir or whatever, a commemoration. So uh, I guess I could drink it and save the bottle, but we'll see. Okay, I had several comments, good good comments, uh, and I can't spend too much more time on money. Uh, the funniest one I had is the entire high school class wants to know what a check is. <laughs> And that was followed up by whether or not I knew what Venmo was, and I don't. But one elder said that I would be paid with Venmo, so I'm going to Google it right after this. Uh, sometimes it just makes you feel old. Sometimes it just makes you feel old. Uh, and, and there's no answer to this second one, but I think mo many congregations here deal with it. I was asked, should a congregation be a spender or a saver? And that is a dilemma for a lot of congregations. Uh, I don't know that there is a right answer, but having said that, I'll give you an answer. I think in general, a congregation should be good managers and stewards of their funds, which means, I think, having some set aside for an emergency of benevolence or the roof leaks. But I don't know what dollar amount to put on that, but it's not necessarily $200,000. And some congregations really struggle with, they're so blessed, struggle with spending their, in, their, their collection without it just getting huge. Uh, and so I think we should try to be spenders in any way we can. Having said that, I think it's foolish just to spend it to be spending it. It needs to be on a good cause for the Lord. And that might require you having to hold back until you find a good cause to spend it on. But I think we ought to have that mentality. Uh, someone made a comment that certainly newlyweds, or not just newlyweds, really need to communicate financially on, uh, on uh, their lodging. Uh, sometimes newlyweds kind of want to start out with a house like mom and dad's, and maybe they ought to start out with a little bit smaller one or one that they can afford, uh, or maybe trade houses with mom and dad, although I'm not sure that's terribly a good idea. Cause mom and dad may need to downsize and kids, but sometimes we overspend. And uh, because we want to have what we grew up with, 
and we forget our parents didn't start out with that you know there's still a few of us here that grew up in a house with one bathroom and uh, maybe a few here that grew up in a house with no bathrooms uh, well no inside bathrooms uh, but that's something to consider another comment I got was on uh, checking accounts should a husband and wife have separate checking accounts? I'm not going to take a firm position on that, but I think this person did make a valid comment that if you're going to be one, that ought to include your finances. So there, there needs to be a joining of that. This particular person thought that, therefore, having one checking account rather than separate checking accounts was the better way to go. I think it's probably a safer way to go to make sure everyone's in the same page but I can see situations in which it might uh, there might be some wisdom in having separate checking accounts but not separate in that it being a divisive thing to the marriage just some way to, to keep the accounting and obviously I don't have a chapter and a verse on that so uh, uh, you can either take my advice or mess up whichever you uh, choo choose to do uh, oh I'm going to comment on this one even though uh, I, might, I may want to duck a little bit. In terms of, of, of communication and money, I think we need to use some real caution in the social media. And the person's comment was that when people post things on social media, I'm not into that. Many of you are. I don't think that's wrong. But we always put the best on the social media. We put our best trip, our best house. Uh, you don't see pictures on there too often of when the house is a mess or when the car won't start. And, and the thought was that we want to share, I know some of you want to share your lives with each other and that's not wrong. But if you're blessed and are able to do things, consider people that maybe aren't as blessed as you and how are they going to react and think if they see you just posting your blessing after blessing after blessing. Uh, so just give that some consideration. I guess that's as far as I want to go with that. Okay, I think those were the ones I wrote down. Oh, one other one I didn't write down, but it's worthwhile, and, and I don't know that I know the answer. Should you discuss your unmet expectations with your spouse? Well, I think that uh, in, in an ideal world, the answer to that is yes. But it depends to me, I think, a little bit on how serious that unmet expectation is. There might be times you ought to just bite your lip. Maybe you, as a husband, expected biscuits and gravy twice a week, and you're only going to get them once a week. My suggestion is bite your lip and be glad you got them once a week. If, however, it's on something that seriously affects the relationship then it probably is good. This comes under communication. If you can't communicate with your spouse on serious things, then you're not one in the way that we would all want to be. But having said that, you run the risk of your spouse becoming, starting to think you're not happy with them. And maybe that's not your intent. So maybe you, you take turns uh, giving unmet expectations. And maybe you'll decide, I just ought to, I ought to just absorb it and not say anything. I'm going to have to leave that to your judgment. Uh, but we don't want to harm our, our relationships by not expressing our, ourselves. But we want to do it with love. And uh, I don't always know the best way to do that. So how am I going to stand up here and tell you the best way to do it other than to tell you to do it? Anybody have a comment on any of those or, or anything else on money before we move on to an easy subject of intimacy? We'll just take one or two here for the sake of time. Do we have a scriptural reference for debt? Well, there are, and I didn't write it down. There is a passage that says, Oh, oh no man, anything. I guess that would be the one that would come to my mind. My understanding of that passage is that that's a little bit different than what we consider to be debt. Owing no man anything is that it's due and you're not able to pay it. For instance, a house payment, you might owe, but it's not due until the first of the month. So you don't owe the whole 100000 at that point. You've agreed to do it monthly or whatever. 
So I don't necessarily think that means, for me, that it's wrong to borrow money for, for some of those purchases because you don't really owe it until the due date comes due. But that would come to mind, and that goes back to Mike's comment. It's certainly the safest approach to not have debt. But some of us would never have a house if we never borrowed anything. Some of you would, but most of us here either have or have had a mortgage. But I don't consider that to be owing somebody uh, until, unless I'm delinquent or past due, and then, and then I'm owing it. Roger, and then we'll move on. Oh, I'm sorry. After Roger yeah. and one more. I don't have the proverb at my fingertips, but there is one that says the borrower is slave to the lender. Okay, he said there's a proverb, the borrower is, is slave to the lender, and, and I think there is some truth to that, and you can certainly get your ensla yourself enslaved with debt. You just can't move. Proverbs 22.7, if I heard correctly, is the Proverbs that Roger was referring to. Okay. Okay. Something about Romans 13 and 8 from Mary. Oh, that's the passage we were talking about? Okay. I think that is a very serious thing to consider, and maybe some of you have put in that position of loaning money to brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that can... It doesn't always end well, so be cautious and prayerful about it, I'll put it that way. Oh, the other thing I had, I keep thinking of these things, somebody wanted to know where they can get 8% interest. Uh, well, it's out there. See Dave Hartman. Okay. Uh, the next one, and I need to move on here for just for a moment, and I'm not going to say a lot about this, probably because I'm not overly comfortable with this, but it's important. And that has to do with sex, romance, and affection. Uh, literally, I was, they, I was asked, how often will we be sexually intimate? Well, my answer to that is I could care less, except don't violate 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where it says, do not defraud yourself from your mate, but give yourself one to another. This is going to vary with couples, it's going to vary with age, and I don't think there is a right or a wrong answer as long as there is mutual consent on the way to approach that. Uh, uh, the other thing I would say about that is, is, is probably... This is going to sound like an old man, you're going to try to read it into my relationship, don't. But sex, intimacy is not the fuel of a good relationship. It is the fruit of a good relationship. And too many people, too many times I think people expect that to be the fuel of a good marriage, when I believe it should be the fruit of a good marriage. And sometimes as the sexual drive wanes, the marriage becomes stronger. Well, if it was just based upon sexuality and intimacy, that wouldn't happen. Many times when I'm counseling young people who are getting married or, at the, or even in the ceremony, I will say, I hope today you love your mate less than you'll ever love them in the future. What I'm saying is your love ought to get stronger as you get older. Now, their sexual ecstasy may be stronger at that point, but that doesn't mean their love is necessarily the strongest at that point. Uh, we need to look at it as, as the fruit and not, of the, uh, not the fuel. But this can be an, an expectation that some people enter into marriage about. Uh, one person said, I expected to have intimacy every night. Well, more power to you. But that may not be reality in most relationships. And uh, it might be an unrealistic expectation. So, I'm done with that. If you've got a comment to make, good, you don't. Okay, let's move on. Was there anything else on? Oh, I did want to comment on that. I was asked about PDAs. You know what a PDA is? That's public displays of affection. This is going to vary with couples. But uh, 
in a tactful, tasteful way, I think it's quite appropriate. In an untactful, untasteful way, don't do it. And you figure out what's tactful and untasteful. Uh, but I, I've seen, uh, well, it doesn't happen very often, but I've, I've seen almost couples making out during church. And uh, I would put that on the scale of don't do it. Holding hands, putting your arm around, different people are just different. And you have to do what's uh, comfortable for you and your mate and what is expected. Okay, why did I go back? In-laws, extended family. We bring into our marriages expectations about how we will deal with our families by the way we were raised. Some of you have come from families that were very, very tight, very, very close. God bless you. Others of, us, of you come from families that were loving, but not as uh, entwined daily in your activities. For instance, I grew up 500 miles from my, all of my grandparents, so I would see them twice a year. Some of you see grandparents, grandkids every day, and you feel withdrawal pains if you don't. I can understand that a little bit better than I could have two years ago. I'll admit that. But uh, you need to come to an agreement there of, of what are we going to do. How much time are we going to spend with our in-laws? How are we going to proportion the time? And you come with expectations based upon how you were raised and how you saw. So you're probably going to need not have the same expect, uh, uh, expectation. How are we going to divide our holidays. You want to spend Thanksgiving with this person and New Year's with that person or 4th of July. Those things can all be worked out. There just needs to be some communication. And, uh, and uh, got it? Okay. Uh, there just needs to be some expectations in terms of, of how you're going to do it and be on the same page as best you can. Uh, the other side of that coin is in-laws can be extremely demanding. And uh, sometimes they don't stop and think. Uh, opinion, guidelines. Uh, I think it's better for an in-law to wait to be invited to their children's home than to invite themselves to their children's home. That's my opinion. I think that new couple needs to be a new family, not just an extension necessarily of the old family. And uh, hopefully you can work that, work that out. Uh, and if you're a young married couple you need to also appreciate how difficult it sometimes is for your parents and your spouse's parents to kind of let you go it, it, that, that's a transition that's sometimes difficult and, and maybe you can be loving and kind on that it may require you spending time at an in-laws that you'd rather not be spending time there but within reason, you might just want to kind of suck it up and have a, a serving attitude as, as best you can. And I say that as one that believes that, not as one that necessarily did a terribly good job of that. Anybody want to talk about in-laws for a minute? Have a comment or a question? I'll pause if you do. This is... This is okay, Michael does. I thought this would be the third rail. He's from California, so he's fairly safe. I remember Tom Dennis, when he visited our congregation one time, talking about marriage. And he said, you don't just marry the woman, you marry the family. And that is very true. And... Uh, my wife accuses me of marrying her because of her family, and that's not untrue, uh, and, and it has worked very well for us uh, because we understood that it's more than just that one individual. It's a whole family that have, were involved, and uh, I, I have the best mother-in-law in the world, I think, so I'm very thankful. Oh, that's nice. And I, I, in your case, I know that's true. It doesn't always work out just, just that way, but that, that's an ideal. Uh, sometimes you're marrying the cream of the crop of the family, and you have to deal with that. There are times when in-laws don't have the same values that you and your mate has, so that may impact 
how and when and if you leave children with them. If your in-laws are argumentative, do you want your children? You have to make those decisions. I can't make them for you. I made them for ourselves. And uh, well, that's as far as I need to go. Thomas? I actually did want to make a comment on Corinthians 7. Um, I know in th- these examples are from people that are not in the church, but uh, you know, people, that, wives who've used it as a, a tool of manipulation and bad advice from the mother in this particular case. But it ended in an excuse for infidelity and it ended in divorce. And uh, and so, and which I think is totally against Corinthians 7. And I think that's why it's in there, you know, because uh, it's not meant to be used as a tool of manipulation. It just causes resentment and it causes right. an, excuse of, for an excuse for infidelity, if you will. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's, uh, and I didn't stress that point. I didn't even make a point, but thank you for making it. Sex is the fruit of a good marriage. It should never be a tool of manipulation. And sometimes it, it gets used that way. And that's just about as wrong as you can get. Just about as wrong as you can get. Okay, uh, just one, one more. Okay, I can't see who it is, but it's I'm... James Welty, okay, uh, Riverside James. Road. I think uh, one thing for it's important for us to remember is when we are going to be the in-law, we need to make sure we allow our children and their spouses to make the rules for their family, and be respectful of that and. It's counterintuitive sometimes to ask permission from our children to be able to do something, but when it comes to our grandchildren and stuff, we need to do that. We need to not always be the lead. Right. I think a good rule of thumb, and there may be an exception to this, but I don't know what it would be. It's the parent's job to raise the children. It's the parent's job to discipline the children. So if the parents are there, that's who should do it. If the parents aren't there and you're left as a caregiver, then I think it's appropriate to to do it. Uh, In our case, uh, Shane and Shelby discipline their daughter when she needs it. I've never seen her need it. So so I don't know what to do about that. But maybe the day will come. But so far, perfect. Absolutely perfect. You know that old saying, everyone thinks their grandkids are cute. Well, mine really is. You know. Okay, enough of that. But that does segue into kids. Oh, uh, I had a comment from a fairly newly wed young man uh, during the break. And this is back to finances. He said it's a good idea to, to know a little bit about your fiancé's finances before you get married. Do they have a whole bunch of debt? Or what are you getting into? You can work through that. But I thought that sharing, even before the marriage, was, was a good comment and a, a, wise, a wise comment. Kids, expectations on how you're going to discipline them largely comes from how you were disciplined them, or disciplined. Sometimes you think, I need to discipline my kids the way I was disciplined. Other times you might think, I was too severely disciplined, so I'm not going to make that same mistake, and then you get lax. But either way, it is being uh, uh, determined. And a couple's going to have different thoughts. Some people are going to be spankers. Some people are going to count to ten. Uh, I tended to be, let's count to two, and then we'll then we'll we'll go with something a little more severe. But and Shane might say I didn't even get to two, but uh, that needs to be worked worked out. And, and and not only the discipline with kids. I want to make a comment. If you're going to have kids, and I think you all agree with this, but it doesn't mean we all do it. If you're going to have kids, raise them. Too many people want to have kids and then they don't want to do the work to raise them. I don't think it is automatically wrong for a woman to work outside the home, but I think the home should be her primary objective. And if at all possible, and I'll say it, if at all financially possible, no one's going to raise those kids as well as mom and dad. And so that's the way I think we ought to approach it as Christians. Again, my wife worked outside of the home, but not until the kids got in school so she could always be there. And, and I understand not everybody has that privilege, but to the best of your ability, make sure you're not working because of wants when you could maybe not work and still meet your, meet your needs. Uh, 
having children is a biological issue. Raising them is, is a spiritual issue. And we need to give great attention to the spiritual issue. Anybody? No, not anybody. But the animal kingdom can have offspring, but we need to raise them. Uh, and that's, that's very, very important. How excited should we be when a child is brought into the world, into a family where they're not going to be taught the Lord? That's always been a bit of a dilemma for me, and I'm just going to leave that. I think that there's nothing more precious and wonderful than a newborn child. But the real joy to me is when they're brought into a family where they're going to be taught the way of salvation. It's not the procreation that I find to be the joyous thing. It's procreation in an environment where there is salvation, at least available to the child. I know I'm speaking to the choir when I say that to this group. But we do need to keep that. I I hope we can keep that in mind. Anyone else want to comment on expectations relative to children? You're pointing somewhere. Lynette Dowdy from Vandalia. I think the biggest thing that we have to realize is that how you discipline a child depends on that child. They aren't cookie cutters. And also, as they grow, that discipline has to change because it doesn't work to spank a 16-year-old. You'll get end up on the ground. So you, and even if it's not, they've been taught not to hit a mother, it's, it's automatic reaction. If I'm getting pounded on, I'm going to re cover myself but we need to change our discipline as they grow okay good comment and uh, I can't remember who I was talking to but before before uh, services started uh, one of a dad was talking about two different boys he had and you want to be consistent but what works for one isn't automatically what works for the other so you're consistent in your expectations but not necessarily consistent or identical in your execution and uh, I think that's about while you were talking Lynette I remember once having a conversation with your dad who was pretty successful in raising children in the church and his comment was when they ask for a spanking I don't want to disappoint them (laughs) go Marvin okay where are we at one more two I don't know someone just start talking John Elijah from Martinsville yes Elijah Um, you made a statement about, you know, uh, raising your children, if at all possible, if someone can, you need to be home to raise your children as often as you can. Um, because what I've realized is with today's technology, if you're not doing the raising of your children, then what they're watching, what they're seeing, and what they're involved in will do it for you. And it doesn't always have the positive outcome that you would want it to have. Um, one of the efforts that I had made to try to improve on that relationship with my children and and the uh, values that I could instill in them was uh, just camping. Um, camping isn't the most enjoyable thing for everybody at all times, but it's a way to get away and unplug from technology to to work on building that relationship. Let them see how you act and react in situations. Um, And I had to make a conscious decision several years ago to step away from the amount of work that I was doing in projects because I started seeing technology developing them in ways that they didn't need to be developed in or or teaching them things they didn't need to know. So if at all possible, um, limit your children on some of that technology and, and give them more exposure to you and your family. Okay, yeah. They're going to be someone else. We don't need Venmo, do we? And I don't want anybody to take this as critical because there are some family situations where the woman needs to work. There are single moms. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about just keeping our children our, our priority. Keeping our children our priority. And the best babysitter in the world is not the same as a mom. In, in my opinion. A good mom, anyway. Okay, let's move on here just a little bit. What holidays are you going to celebrate? We have uh, 
people in the church that don't believe in some holidays that other people believe in or they they uh, honor them differently if that's the case in your marriage and I'll call it a mixed marriage just in, in that area thank you amen uh, where was I oh holidays and now I'm not going to mince words. There are some of you don't believe in uh, having anything to do with Christmas, for instance, and others of you do it as a family get together. I'm going to leave that up to your decision. But that's something you need to discuss and come to a common ground. If you enter in with different expectations, uh, it's going to come up. So why not have a little bit of a discussion about that before it becomes problematic? And this can impact your in-laws. Because when you tell grandma she can't do that, uh, that's not always what grandma wants to hear. But that as, as in-laws, we need to be under, understanding of that. Our birthdays and anniversaries are a big deal. My experience is they, they, they get to be less of a big deal the older you get. Because uh, we don't even remember when we were born when we get to be a certain age. Valentine's Day, for instance, is a biggie for some ladies and it's not a biggie for other ladies. It's not a biggie for hardly any men, uh, but that doesn't mean we don't need to be considerate. I don't have too much I want to say on that. Chores around the house. Who does what? Uh, If you do have a working mom, for instance, then the husband may feel compelled to help with what we call the housework. And uh, that's a whole hole that I could dig myself into. Uh, the classic thing, Donna and I laugh about this. Well, I laugh about it. I don't know if she laughs about it. I was teaching a, 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 a class on this probably 10, 15 years ago, and I told them that I helped Donna do housework. I raised my feet every time the sweeper comes by. And uh, the ladies didn't appreciate that near as much as I thought it was kind of funny. But uh, we do need to share those things. And, and they're not necessarily gender-specific like they used to be, maybe. But again, it's what works for the family. I know retired men who now do a lot of the home, of the housework because they, they have the time to help their wives out. I think that's a that's a wonderful thing to do. One more in the in the well, not one more, but another one before I pause. Are you going to have an organized or disorganized family? You some of you come from highly organized families. Uh, your house was always tidy. Uh, your mom was a very good housekeeper. Others of you probably come from messy homes, for I mean physically messy homes. Well, what kind of a home are you going to have? Well, if you have different perspectives on that, it needs to be, uh, it needs to be considered. Uh, I think for most of us, and I've been in numerous of your homes, not, 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 certainly not all of them, there's a happy medium. It, it's, it's well kept but livable. You know, remember those old, and somebody may have them, so I'm not, I, I don't know about this. Remember, they used to put these plastic sheets on the couch, and you'd sit down and you'd just crinkle. I always thought that was a bit of an overkill, but uh, you, don't, you don't want it to be messy, but I'm sure there's some messy homes represented here, and if you can enjoy that, that's fine. Uh, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be what I would be used to. But if you see that disconnect, that's what I'm saying, if you see that disconnect, are you going to have a structured or a free-spirited, spontaneous family? I come from a very structured family. My family, and many of you knew my parents, they planned things out. And if we were going to go on a trip, we knew where we were going to stay the night before, the two nights before, and Dad had his maps uh, before uh, iPads. but some of you come from spontaneous things. And Donna came from a little more spontaneous environment. I think we were in Tennessee. I might be in the wrong state. But she said, let's don't make motel reservations. Let's just wing it. That was the term. Let's just wing it. Well, we wung it for about eight hours. And it was midnight before we found a place to stay. So we don't wing it anymore. But I can understand that spontaneity. I just don't. I wasn't raised that way, so she's probably made a bit of an adjustment there uh, for my uh, uh, peace of mind. 
peace of mind. Okay, holidays, chores, organized, disorganized, spontaneous. Anybody want to make a comment on any of those as we've kind of ticked down them in a rather, rather uh, quick? We got uh, Dan over here. I don't know where the mic is. The comment will be about holidays. They'll carry over into other areas. Okay. And one of the ways to look at holidays is to decide, is this an issue of love or is it an issue of this is what I would like? We're not big celebrators of holidays, uh, especially Valentine's Day. But one, one holiday season on the refrigerator, there was a cutout picture of a necklace with a message that said, Gaylene would love this. And she got it that holiday. Because it's not an issue of love, it's an issue of, this is what I would appreciate. And there are a lot of areas in our life, if we step back and say, are you doing this because you don't love me? Or are you doing this because it's just inconvenient, or it's not something you care about? If we can separate those two out, a lot of times the situation looks a lot different. Real quick uh, example that I worked with a couple. One, one was a talker. They loved to stay after church and visit. The other one wanted to leave the building as soon as the last amen was said. And they would sit in the car and, and fume and the person inside would be guilty. And I simply asked him, so is it, is it an issue of convenience or love? And they says, well, it's not about love. And I said, good, take two cars to church. The one that wants to get out, they can get out, go home. The other one that wants to stay can stay and visit and go home. You can have a meal together. Don't destroy a marriage because it's something that's inconvenient. Decide if it's really an issue of love. What? I think uh, not destroying a marriage over that is certainly very, very good advice. I'm going to admit, as you were talking, I'm thinking about, boy, we're spending more money on gas if we take two cars. But that, that's my frugal. That's my frugal. But uh, I think you make a very valid point there, if that were. And I do know couples who do drive separately. Uh, and some of you know them very well. Uh, okay, yeah. Right, bef right before you started uh, this list of expectations, uh, you were talking about if we don't get our expectations perfectly met, um, m from our viewpoint, maybe we sort of hold off, we bite our tongue, we don't, you know, we we enjoy what we do get and, and don't, you know, nitpick. And, and I absolutely agree. I think that's good advice. At the same time, I think if it gets to the point where we have secrets in our marriage, um, and it could be expectations or something else, but where it comes into secrets, I think that is something that we need to make sure that we that it doesn't get to. And if it gets to that, I think then we need to uh, have that conversation because I don't think secrets can be can be involved in a in a happy marriage. Okay, I don't have a, a major disagreement with that. Let me just comment on, on a little larger scale because we're not going to necessarily do all of these expectations uh, justice in our time. Our expectations really comes down to who we love. And if you feel like your expectations are not being met in your marriage, there's a good chance it's because you love yourself more than you love your spouse and more than you love God. If you really love God, you're going to love your spouse. And so I, I'm a firm believer that unmet expectations, maybe all marital problems, but certainly many marital problems, have to be fixed at a vertical level before they can be fixed at a horizontal level. And by that I mean our relationship needs to be as servants of the Lord. And if we are truly servants of the Lord, we will follow his advice in being servants to our spouses. And that will alleviate a lot of the expectations. If I feel hurt because my expectations are not being met, it's probably because I'm putting myself as wanting to receive service ahead of serving. 
And if I can get a mindset of wanting to be a servant rather than a recipient, and that's what Jesus said, he didn't come to serve, or to be served, he came to serve. And I think that's an awfully good thing for our marriage. So expectations in marriage really comes down to who do you worship? Do you worship yourself more than the Lord? Do you worship yourself more than your mate? And none of us want to be in that position, but many of us end up in that position. We take J-O-Y, Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between, and we scramble those letters to yourself first, others in between, or maybe Jesus last, and it doesn't spell, it spells yuk, and it's supposed to spell joy. Oh, I just wanted to say, Daylene, that was a good example, uh, um, especially young young wives. Make it easy on your husband. Tell him what you want. <laughs> or, or, if you, or if you want flowers, you can, you know, yeah. you go buy them yourself if you, <laughs> if you really need or want that. But, uh, yeah, make it easy on us. Tell, tell yeah, us. make it easy on us, but it's kind of nice for us to do a little bit of the work ourselves and surprise them. But I can tell you some real horror stories on flowers and marriage. And uh, I'll save that for private conversations. It's not bad. It's just horror stories. Let's move on here a little bit, if, if you'll allow me to, because I do want to spend some time on communication. And some people say communication is really the essence of a marriage. And I don't know that that's, that's wrong. As I was preparing my thoughts, I kept saying, don't, don't sound like Dr. Phil. Don't sound like Dr. Phil. Don't sound like Dr. Phil. So I'm trying not to sound like Dr. Phil. If you like Dr. Phil, fine. I don't know that I do, but he probably has some good thoughts. But in a marriage, there's usually going to be, I talked about a spender and a saver. It's common there's a talker and a, and a quiet person. I almost said listener, but quiet people aren't always listening. But they don't do a lot of the talking. And, and you just need to be aware of that. One of the, they've done some studies. One of the real disappointments that women have in their husbands is they, they'll say, well, our husband just doesn't talk to me. We dated and we just talked and talked and talked till midnight. Now he comes home from work and, and we just don't visit. Well, he probably needs to work on that a little bit. But there are some basic differences between men and women. The average person speaks about 25,000 words a day. Well, if the woman is home with the kids, she may only use up a couple thousand adult words with the kids. He's been at work. He's used up 20,000 of his adult words. So they're there at supper. She's got 23,000 more adult words to use, and he's only got 5,000. He's happy to go in, watch TV, and grunt for the rest of the evening, and she's wanting to communicate. It, it's, a, it's a case where she needs to understand what he's been through, but he also needs to understand what her particular needs are. There is a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, that talks about uh, uh, wholesome, wholesome communication in some of the newer translations. And I don't know that that's simply about the amount of talk I think wholesome communication, or, or uh, as, as the term is used there, is a communication that's not self-centered. Communication that is, it, that is trying to uh, grasp the needs of another person. Uh, and th- I guess this is a comment to the men. Men tend to be prob- want to be problem solvers. If there's a problem, we want to try to solve it. You can get into right brain, left brain, and all that stuff. But a lot of times a woman doesn't necessarily want her husband to solve the problem. She's solving the problem as she's talking about it. She just needs somebody to listen. And, and I'll say this as a fault of mine earlier, certainly still to some extent. Donna would come in and have a problem, maybe at work or whatever, and I'd say, well, this will fix that. She, did, she didn't want me to say that. She wanted me to listen to her fix it in her own mind. And she was going through the process of fixing it. So sometimes we uh, communication is, is that listening part and not simply that communicating part. And uh, I, that's, a, that's a real important thing for us to keep in mind as we, as we communicate about what, what we do. And there's also nonverbal communication. And I don't know if this goes into expectations or not, and maybe this is a little bit more for the women since I kind of picked on the men. 
Studies have shown that the average woman can make 250,000 different facial expressions. I don't know how you come up with that, but let's just say they can make a lot. And sometimes are those facial expressions or that body language can be very disrespectful. Have you ever been talking to a man and his wife is standing behind him and he's saying something and she's going like this or giving you a facial expression that is basically saying he doesn't know what he's talking about? Well, maybe he doesn't, but that's very disrespectful. My point is that communication is not simply our verbiage, it's also uh, our body language. And this might get into the PDA, the public display of affection. It's kind of nice to see an old couple, and you define that any way you want, holding hands as they walk around. You know, I think that's that's a public display of of their honoring one another. That to me is communicating to one to one another. Or you'll see a couple stand up for a prayer, and they'll hold each other's hand during the prayer at church. I'm not saying you have to do that to be a Christian, but I think it is a form of communication to your spouse that that they're. They're lovely to you, and you love them, and uh, we're going to serve the Lord together. So I, I, I guess the, there's just multiple ways in which communication uh, is, is very important. This goes back to the sexual thing, which I didn't really spend much time on for good reason. But men and women are different sexually. Now, I don't think that's a newsflash for most of you. But 80% studies show 80% of a woman's physical needs are non-sexual. They have to do with, with touch, with holding of the hands. Men tend to look at physicality of the marriage in a more intimate, sexual uh, way. I don't know that this is totally true, but I think there's some truth to it. Sexually, one man wrote, sexually men are like microwaves. You just push a button and they're ready to go. Women are more like crockpots. They need to warm up to it. You take that for what it's worth, but there might be something in, in marriages that can benefit uh, from, from it. Another way of saying that is a man needs a place, a woman needs a reason. Uh, I don't know that that applies to all situations, but I think it is something to, to consider. The other thing in expectations, or another thing as I'm, I'm starting to run out of time, is that we need to be realistic with ourselves. After we marry, sometimes the very same trait, we view it different than we viewed it when we were dating. For instance, she married him because he was strong and masculine and she divorces him because he's dominating. He married her because she was fragile and petite. He divorced her because she was weak and helpless. She chose him because he knew how to provide a good living and she left him because all he thought about was work. He married her because she was steady and sensible. He left her because she was boring and dull. In all of those cases, it's very likely that person didn't change, but the perspective of the spouse toward that activity did change. And it's amazing how things that attracted us to people initially can, over periods of time, become the irritants that cause us problem in our relationships. And I guess I'm just expressing that I think as a realistic caution to all of us that have been married a little bit longer. Uh, We're all sinners. We're married to sinners. So we can't expect a perfect meet all our expectations life. Marriage sometimes is not a perfection of a relationship as much as sometimes you've simply got somebody to walk through this life until, until you die. And it's someone to share your life with, but not always necessarily in perfection. Ideally, it would always be perfect, perfect, but uh, I guess that can't be because we're not perfect. I'll take time for one or two comments. Okay, over here she hasn't had a comment and she deserves to have a comment. Um, I just... Um, something that I have experienced in myself is that just as unhealthy as it can be for your relationship to have expectations of the other person that are unmet, you can very easily have expectations of yourself that can be damaging and unhealthy to your relationship as well. And I feel like in an attempt to, to live biblically and to do good, good things can become unrealistic and unhealthy expectations for us within our relationships as well. 
Okay, that was from a wise young lady or young woman. And I can say that I, I, I can relate to what she said because I joked a little bit about frugal and tight. But when we were first married, I was pretty convinced we were going to go broke. There's just no way we were going to have enough money. So we ate a lot of macaroni that first year. And you could get macaroni and cheese, three boxes for a dollar back then. And we just ate a lot of macaroni and oatmeal. And there's an oatmeal story there that I'll, I'll pass. Well, I'll share it. I've shared it with you before. But Donna made oatmeal one Monday when we were first married. And it was good. But we didn't need it all. Well, am I going to throw it out? No way. So we had oatmeal the next day. And we just kept adding water to it. And by Friday, we had more oatmeal than we started with. And, and I was probably, I might have been cheap then. But now I'm frugal now. But I might have been cheap then. But you can have expectations that are, are of yourself that are, that are harmful to a relationship. Very good. I think a good marriage is built moment by moment. I think we need to be masons. We build our marriages brick by brick by brick. Marriages seldom disintegrate from a blowout. They disintegrate from slow leaks over a very fairly long period of time. The bricks of words that are spoken, actions that are taken, little thoughts, momentary expectations, they all form the structure of my marriage, they all form the structure of your marriage. And those little things are important. Remember the story of Jonathan Swift? He was a big guy that was washed up on shore of an island that was all little bitty people. And these people said, what in the world are we going to do? When he wakes up, he'll destroy us all. Well, he slept there for some time. And they put thread after thread after thread over Jonathan Swift. Because when he did wake up, he couldn't move. He could have broken any one of those threads, but he couldn't break them all. And it's an example of how relations are made thread at a time, thread at a time, brick at a time, brick at a time. And I think when we keep that in mind, the way we conduct ourselves uh, daily, not on the humongous stages, but on the daily way we treat one another, uh, with our expectations and our desires, that's the way you really build a good marriage. Uh, Bill and Aline Fleener built their marriage a day at a time. And I've had the privilege of visiting with them enough to know that they weren't all easy days. They weren't all fun days. I started to say pleasant. They might have been pleasant, but they weren't all fun. And yet here they are, brick by brick by brick, and now they got a wonderful structure, a 70-year-old house. And may it be 80 years old before, before you're done. I'm just using them as an example because I, I just love and admire them so much. And I, the rest of us do. And, and they're here. Okay. I'm not going to start any new material. I have a closing comment or two that I'll make. But I'll pause. And if you want to make any comment or question on anything we've talked about today that I haven't addressed or didn't address properly, you got to crack at it. I made a comment earlier about how we have to love God. Oh, I'm sorry. Did we have a... I didn't even look up. I'm sorry, Roger. You were being quiet, so I thought I might talk for a change. Anyway, I had the privilege of being the servant of a women's study at home. And one thing I really learned out of that was, you know, it was on Proverbs 31, the virtuous wife. And husbands should understand this is a destination for the wife, it's not something to expect right out of the box when you get married. So that's it. Okay. Yeah, marriage is a journey. None of us have got all the answers, and we sure didn't have all the answers as we drove away from the ceremony. Most of us really didn't know what all was in store. But if you were raised in a Christian environment, you maybe knew more than you think you knew. You, you may not have known why you chose the mate you chose, but there was just something in you that had been taught, this is the kind of mate I want. 
And I hope that's true for everybody here. Thomas Kuhn, live Topeka. Um, I found flexibility to be uh, extremely important in a marriage. Understanding which expectations are vital, which are scriptural, and which are just preferences, because things are constantly changing. And if you're stuck on one thing, and it's not actually vital, you're gonna. It's not going to work. I mean, between health issues and hurricanes and everything else, like, my life is just constant flux. And so most of my expectations I can't maintain. And so knowing what are vital, scriptural, is is necessary. And then secondly, I would say you have to value your spouse's uh, passion over everything else. If they're passionate and you just kind of care. you got to roll with their passion. Well, that's their passion is part of their life, and if you're going to be one, you share passions. And I think to the extent that that can be done, that's a, a good thing for any healthy marriage. Anybody else? Uh, we got Dallas over here, or maybe not Dallas, but he's pointing at somebody. It's Sally Garvey from yes, Eldon. Um, you probably are going to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. I think that everything that you said at the very beginning should be re-repeated, or should be repeated. That if we put God first in our lives, we will be a good partner. He has to be first. If he is, we won't be selfish. We won't be unrealistic. We will be understanding. I'm, I don't know that it's impossible, but I, I do think it's impossible. And thank you for that, Sally. I've never seen a divorce occur when both parties had a serving attitude. Anytime there's a divorce, usually at least one, and sometimes both, have a selfish attitude. I understand it takes two to make a good marriage. So that's why I said one. But if we have a serving attitude, and that's what God instructs us to have, to Him and to others... Uh, it's pretty hard to mess up a relationship. Won't say it can't, but I, I haven't seen it. Okay, I want to share with you uh, uh, an, uh, uh, a true story that is, it just meant so much to me over the years. I never met this lady. She lived in Houston, Texas. Her name was Jeannie Sims, uh, and this I took this from the Houston Chronicle uh, in uh, I believe it was in the '90s, although the date's a little vague. She kissed her husband goodbye as he went to work, and he went out to the driveway to get in the car, and she went back to the kitchen to kind of clean up the, the dishes from breakfast, and she heard two gunshots, and she knew something was wrong, and she ran to the front door and looked out in the driveway, and her husband, who was Jimmy Sims, was laying in the driveway shot. They had had a rocky marriage. He had been unfaithful a few years earlier, but they had gotten back together, got more involved in the church, and they had, a, her, in her words, a wonderful relationship. She said, I ran out there and I picked up his head and laid it in my lap as the blood was starting to ooze from the corner of his mouth, and I knew I had lost him. Later she wrote what she missed. She missed, I miss him getting my favorite breakfast. I missing him go out late at night to get me the ice cream that I so desperately wanted. I miss his enduring and accepting my whims, even when they didn't make any sense. I loved his off-key rendition of Jeannie with the light brown hair as he would stroke my neck. I miss his touch. I miss his voice. I miss his devotion. And then she concluded with these words. If you still have your mates, cherish them. Love them. Love them as if it were the last day you'll ever have them. Because someday 
it will be.